When I'm dancing, I am that tune that they're playing. If I know the tune, I am that tune. I'm part of that band. That's Buck Dancer and 2017 National Heritage Fellow, Thomas Maupin. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Buck dancing is an Appalachian freestyle dance, similar to, but older than tap dancing and clogging. In buck dancing, you literally dance the tune. There are no routines. It's completely improvised and based on the music. It's usually done solo, and you'll never see two buck dancers dance alike. Thomas Maupin is a master of the art, winning over 70 competitions, as well as a slew of awards, including the Folk Life Heritage Award from his home state of Tennessee, and now a National Heritage Fellowship. Just as importantly as his dancing, he has made it his mission to keep this tradition vibrant and to pass it on to the next generation. He's traveled throughout Tennessee and across the country, giving workshops and demonstrations of traditional buck dancing, often with his musical partner, his 24-year-old grandson, banjo player Daniel Rothwell, whose playing you'll hear throughout this podcast. Both Thomas and Daniel were the subjects of a documentary, Let Your Feet Do the Talking. Throughout it all, Thomas Maupin has raised a family, worked a full-time job, and remain rooted in the rural Tennessee community where he was raised. Well, I grew up in a small town called Legoville, which is about 16 miles from where I live now, close to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and 10 kids, five boys and five girls. And my mom's mom lived with us. It was so many people at our house. Our house was open. Sometimes we might not even know who was eating at our house. Our house was open all the time to whoever wanted to come in. That's when you didn't have to lock your doors. Everybody knew everybody else and knew the business. But that's, that's the way I grew up. My dad was a farmer. What did he grow? He growed tobacco. We had five acres. He worked that whole five acres, all of it, by himself or with the help of us kids. And he didn't ask us if we wanted to do it. He said, come on, let's do it. And we didn't ask him how much he's going to pay, pay us either. He said, well, you'll eat tonight. But he worked all the time, all the time. But he learned us to work, learned to be, be honest and uh, respectable. I think I was some good raising myself. There was also good dancing, a tradition that came down from both sides of Thomas's family. My grandmother sticks out on my mom's side more than any because a team would come on in, on radio and she'd be barefooted most of the time. And she had the best rhythm step that I can hear today. She stood straight, upright, dancing. Her timing would be right on top of the music. And, I, and today I can remember hearing that. I never seen my mom dance. She didn't have time to dance, really. She had so many kids and grandkids, too. I think she started 17 to school. When one got married, we gained one, and then 
Nine or ten months, we gained another one. So that's all the way it was. Then on my dad's side, my dad didn't buck dance, but he had good rhythm. He could two-step, round dance, really good, and his his movements was good. On his side of the family, I seen several of their dancers. On my dad's side, we had a similar body style, a similar dance step, only they, they danced more of a country, down low and shaking their arms and stuff like that, you know. Maybe more so than I do. Sometimes I do too if I get a little excited, you know, and I might get out of shape a little bit. Just about all of us, us kids, has danced one time or the other. Some a little different from others, but some similarity. And uh, I had one brother four years older than me that we was pretty similar in dance style, but our steps were different. I thought he was a good dancer. I've danced in competition with him lots of times. And one time, I really thought he had me. And and he did, he was dancing good. We was dancing in the national championship, and I wanted him to win. But I told him, I said, I can't let up. And uh, I don't want you to let up. So he did a good dance, but they gave me first place. But I really wanted them to win, because I had won it before, and I knew how that feeling was, you know. Thomas can't remember not dancing. And he recalls the adults in his small town encouraging him, even when he was little. I always danced when I was in school. Every time they had some kind of music, somehow or another I would be in there dancing. Our basketball coach, probably when I was in second or third grade, every time he'd see me in the hallway or somewhere, he'd want me to dance. And I forgot, as I got older, I think maybe that may be a way he had of bringing me out. He'd seen something. In a little old town I grew up in, Eagleville, uh, <laughs> I've danced up and down the streets there. All the older people, they said, hey, boy, hit me a lick. So we'd have to dance a little bit. I think that was a way of bringing who I am out. Music and dancing were the way friends and neighbors socialized. They came together and created their own entertainment. I grew up going to square dance, hitchhiking on the weekend. Wherever we could go to dance, we'd hitchhike and maybe get a ride there, maybe get a ride back. One of the first square dances I went to when I was just a young boy, they had it in a house. They moved the furniture out, and we would square dance in there, and I was probably 15, 16, something like that. But yeah, back then, back then, that was a going thing because it wouldn't, people didn't have no money to travel much to start with. Back in the mountains, nobody had no money, no way to go. And little communities would meet at town. That was their only fun they had was going to town and dancing and playing music. The origins of buck dancing is something Thomas Maupin has spent a lot of time thinking about. People is always asking me, where where did buck dancing come from? 
Okay, where did buck dancing come from? Where did it come from? Say, well, it, it came from Ireland. Maybe it did. If anything, I think it might came from Native American. Now, I have won a third place in Native American dancing. I was watching them, and they, they, these Native American dancers, they jump in and whirl in the air. They'll always be back at the ground on top of that music. Not behind it, but on top of it. There's a difference. There's, it makes sense that the time you hear the music, the time you react to it, you'll be a second or something behind it. It's being right on that music and being a part of that music. And Native Americans, they do that. They come down, they hit a toe, a ball, and a heel. And it looks good with the timing of the music. I have always did that. Where it come from, I don't know, because I don't have any Native American far as I know in, in me. So that's about as close as buck dancing before we knew what buck dancing was. Their dances built around timing, built around body. Your body is a part of your dance. And you can be have some really good steps, but your body is not a part of it. You're looking, you're uncomfortable with it. Someone looking on that really knows dancing can tell that. Your body needs to be a part of your dance. You don't need to be jumping or kicking. You need to be playing that tune that they're playing. When I'm dancing, I am that tune that they're playing. If I know the tune, I am that tune. I'm part of that band. And I think that's what sort of separates a buck dancer from a clogger. Can you describe the difference between buck dancing and clogging? Clogging is a higher, showier dance. It's louder. A buck dancer floats like a butterfly and you sting like a bee. You know, one, two, three. That's three notes right there. You put three notes over here when the music's telling you to do it. I've been beaten by a man 93 years old. Got a first place. It's buck dancing. Old-time flat-foot buck dancing. A clogger can't dance like that when you get older. You get about 35 years old, you can't perform like that. Your body won't let you do it. Your legs won't let you do it. So your dancing's pretty well over. But if you learn a good, smooth dance, you can dance till you die, as long as you're not crippled up or sick or something. Clogging is a good dance. I can't do it. But it's a highly skilled dance, too, if you really do it good. But buck dance is a highly skilled dance, too, if you do it good. You'll never see two buck dancers dance the same. It'll be similarity, but it won't be the same. It comes from out of you, the way you interpret the music, the way your rhythm is set up and timing is set up with the music, you gotta put something in it. You gotta play the tune that the musicians are playing. I had a piece of pie and I had a piece of pudding. Give it all away, just see it sounded good. You make your feet sound like it. And we're gonna do a deal, it's called shortening bread. Mama's little baby loves shortening, shortening. Mama's little baby loves shortening bread. Each one of them words is a note. And when it speeds up, slipped in the kitchen, slipped up a lid. As the tune gets on in there, you go picking up a little bit. Then you put them notes in there. You have to speed up a little bit to get them in there because you're with the music. If I know the tune, I've got that tune in my head and it's sending down to my feet.
talk to Thomas Maupin for five minutes, it becomes clear that this modest man could not be prouder of his grandson and musical partner, Daniel Rothwell, who's a great banjo player in his own right, winning the national competition in old-time banjo when he was just 17. Well, I first started playing uh, when I was 11 years old. I'm 24 now at the time of this recording, and uh, so I've been playing for quite a while. When he was learning to play the banjo, I think I helped taught him timing because I would I would just do a one two one two one two and he's keeping up with that. And when I heard him right, right with it, you know that I would change up. And then Daniel would too. And he would too, and and we would stay there till he. Till he recognized that timing, I think I'm a part of that boy. <laughs> Do you ever feel like you two are in conversation together when you're playing Daniel and you're dancing? Oh, hey, we're connected. We can, in a lot of ways, tell what each other's going to do because we have uh, been making music together for so long, and even even you know before that, I've just I've known him all my life, so. We can we can anticipate what each other is going to do. Yeah, yeah. Not all of the time, you know, but most of the time we are in sync better with each other than we would be with just about anybody else, because hearing him dance and watching him dance and going to these places with him—that's how I came up into this music. You know, he doesn't play any instruments, but in a way, I learned from him. He's my greatest influence. Anything that I got into, he helped encourage. I think we are one in music. I can be dancing and everything's fitting. I can get over close to him and go to really dancing hard. Then he goes to playing hard. We communicate with each other. To me, it brings out the best in both of us. So that's the part I like about it. He plays old time. Old time music is the best to book dance to. But I can dance to 10 o'clock news if I put it down. <laughs> I, can, I can dance to it. And it don't have to be dance music. It don't have to be book dance music. But it's hard to listen to old time music and not move something. You have, you have to. Old time music got a different beat to it. And... Old-time music seems like it comes from your heart. Dance the same way. Dancing comes from inside of you, how, how you express yourself. And I think music is that way, too, you know. He doesn't have a routine. It's all just a spur of the moment. And uh, he's trying to um, match as close as he can what uh, the instrument's doing and I believe he might throw a little something in there every now and then to kind of push the musicians myself, you know. I don't know whether he intends to do that or not. I think he does to help kind of drive the music. Yes, yes. Uh, if playing a tune that I really like, that I'm matching with, that fits my rhythm and stuff, I'll throw a new note in there in between the notes that he's playing. Toe, heel, toe, heel. Now that's four notes. Now when things really get going good, instead of putting four notes in there, I can put six notes in there and make it come out playing with the music. 
just like a musician is throwing some extra notes in that to make it more skillful and make it fit with it. Somehow or I can do that. Your feet are an instrument. Yes, yes. So it's it's percussive, and it's not just what we're seeing, but it's what we're hearing. Yes. See, I'm a musician with my feet. I have to hear. See, if I can hear what my feet's doing, I don't really know that I'm matching what they're doing. It's very important. I could be a little bit behind it, a little bit ahead of it. If you can't hear what someone said, they had not said anything. So music is the same way if I can't hear the music. And if I can't hear what my feet's doing, I don't know what I'm supposed to change up, really. I'm just dancing a little bit in the blue, not knowing just exactly where I'm at. A lot of competitions don't don't realize that. Every musician that get a mic will dance the same way. You have to hear what that dancer's doing. Thomas Maupin has been dancing for over 70 years. Yet because he's willing to go where the music takes him, he can still be surprised by his own dancing. Sometimes when you really get wrapped up in the music and everything is fitting good and you're feeling good, you're really on top of that beat. You know, you come up with a step, a sound, hey, where'd that come from? You're just so involved in it. I am that tune and I'm going to try to add as much to it as I can that'll fit that tune and try to be as skillful as as I can be uh, and still be part of that tune. And you won't know where it come from. You, just, you get so lost in the rhythm and timing. Of it. it just came from the, the spur of the moment, you know. It's a little hard to explain. Although Thomas began dancing at a young age, as he grew older, he assumed responsibilities that made him put his dancing on the back burner for a few years. Well, when I was about 14, 15, 16, I started going to square dancing, and I was at a square dance just about every Saturday night somewhere. Then I met this little old woman <laughs> for 56 years. We got married. I was 22. And... Uh, so it wasn't long to have our first baby, which is Daniel's mom. And I didn't dance for probably 15 years. And we started camping when my oldest one got about 15 years old. We started camping in a Ruskin cave. And there's a big cave on the ground, and they had music and dancing there. So uh, I bought a man's shoes to dance in, got a second place. And we started going there. Uh, if, if a week or so camping out, so I got back into dancing more. They would go swimming and, and I'd go dancing. You worked for in a factory for a long, long time. I worked 41 and a half years at Aircraft Factory in Nashville, and I retired uh, 61, bowed yards for nine years, had a cancer operation, and then I've been raising a garden for four or five years, about an acre or better, and dancing and working and whatever. With typical modesty, Thomas doesn't mention all the people he's taught along the way. He's run workshops across the country, and he serves as a mentor in Tennessee's traditional arts apprenticeship program, working closely with his apprentice, Courtney Williams. It's quite an honor for me. Uh, just an old dance that I've always done all my life. And at first, 
I didn't know how to tell people about it. But I'm I'm beginning to learn now more about how I feel and how it makes me feel inside. And I've done some workshops. Kids come up to me and, and want to dance and want to dance and me show them what flat foot is, what buck dancing is. I've helped several people. Courtney Williams, she already had that in her. And she was understanding what I was saying about dancing that tune because she plays music too. It was already in there in her body. She just needed someone to help pull it out and understanding to dance the tune that's being played, not just going through a bunch of steps. It's really not about the steps. It is, but it's not. The timing of the music and the movement of your body has got a lot to do with it too. There's no certain way to dance. To me, the only way you can dance wrong is dance out of time with the music. Let the music tell you what to do. Well, just a lot of dancers just, just going over the same thing over and over and over. And, and she was understanding what I was saying. Let the music lead you. A lot of times, you can overdance the tune. You can be faster than the tune. You're all geared up, you know. And we're all a little bit guilty of that. You want to hurry up and get it in there, you know. It's harder to dance slow than it is to dance fast because you've got to be more in control. If you overdance that, you can put so many steps, you can put so many sounds in there that it takes away from the tune because it took me all these years to sort of know that. I think Courtney sort of understood that, you know. And that would be nice if I could leave here with somebody dancing like me. But I want them to dance like they dance. I want them to dance better than me. I want them to take part of me and then be them, put their self into it. You've won many awards. You've won over 70 competitions. You got the State Folklife Heritage Award from Tennessee. Yes. And congratulations Thank you. Thank on you. National Heritage Fellowship. Thank you. Yes, I'll be uh, 79 years old in November. Never dreamed, never even thought about it. nothing like this. I have won lots of competitions that I'm, I'm really proud of, but this is something that I just couldn't hardly believe. Made me cry a little bit. But as you get older, things mean more. And you think about different things now that when you get older than you did when you were younger. This is the biggest honor that I've ever got. Never dreamed of it. But now where do I go? Am I supposed to quit dancing in competitions? And how's the other fellows going to feel about me winning this? And uh, they got me on stage at a competition in Franklin after I could talk about what I'd won. And I thanked all of these other dancers. I wanted them to feel a part of this because, you know, when I dance or when they dance, and we want to win. So they pushed me. All these other dancers, they pushed me to look with inside of me to be the best that I can be. So 
I thank them for being a part of this. I'm proud of it. But I don't want to be too proud that I'm not who I am either. So what were you doing when you found out you got the award? Milking a goat. <laughs> I really was. And I came on to the house and told my wife, I said, some fella called me and said that I had won the highest honor you could win in the arts. It was a surprise to me. They told me not to talk about it till the 15th of June. And man, I just couldn't wait. I just couldn't wait because I felt so good. I was bubbling inside. <laughs> so what keeps you dancing? <laughs> I want to leave Thomas Moffin here. I want to leave part of me here that a hundred years from now, people say, that little old skinny man could dance. I want him to say something good. I want him to say something good. I've tried to live my life uh, a decent life. I tried to get along with people. I'd rather be liked than disliked. That's what I want to leave here. But that old skinny man could dance. Indeed he could. And I think that's a great place to leave it. So many congratulations, Thomas. So many congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That's 2017 National Heritage Fellow, Buck Dancer Thomas Maupin. Special thanks to Daniel Rothwell for his music and his insights. You can see Thomas dance and Daniel play at the National Heritage Awards concert Friday, September 15th at the Lisner Auditorium in Washington, D.C. The concert starts at 8 p.m. and tickets are free. Find out more at arts.gov. And if you're not in D.C., no worries. We're webcasting it live at arts.gov. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. <laughs>